thank you for those who are coming in. This is the second ever live stream. And this is the second one I've done this week. I enjoyed doing the first one and I thought I would just try to do this live. YouTube is pretty cool for doing this kind of thing. It's honestly, it's just better than Twitch. It's just better at getting people to find you, people that are already subscribed to the Humans of Magic YouTube channel. So I'm looking forward to doing this live. All right, let's give it another minute or so. Okay. All right. Can people hear me okay? I can never 100% tell. There's no easy way to test the microphone here. Hopefully, this is working and people can hear. So definitely let me know if you can or cannot hear me. I'll try to make some adjustments. I think it's working. All right. Welcome again, Sleeveless MTG. Thank you for uh, joining the second ever Humans of Magic live stream, hopefully the second of many to come. All right, let's get to it. So today is going to be the year-end, year-end review. Last time we did a Q&A. This time, I think I'm going to try to have a little bit more structure to it. And by structure, I mean I'm going to go through the whole year of Humans of Magic. Um, I'm going to try to break it down in a couple ways. Um, and actually, I'll just maybe type it in the chat so it's a little bit easier because I'm I'm just lazy right now. I don't have like fancy overlays, OBS. I don't have like graphics, but this, these are basically the things that um, I'm going to try to talk about today. Like the year in review, I'm going to do hits. I'm going to do misses, um, favorite episodes and why, uh, learnings, and last but not least, plans for 2024. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So that's the structure. And uh, I've got a couple of talking points. And of course, like maybe in the end, we can also do some bonus Q&A. If you have like questions while I'm talking, I'll try to read the chat, try to multitask and just, just kind of like uh, go into more detail if need be. Um, that's pretty much it. Thank you all for, for being here. And if you don't manage to make the live stream, this is going to be a VOD video on demand later. So that's going to be pretty cool for those who want to tune in a little bit after it goes live. All right, let's get to it. Year end, uh, 2023 Humans of Magic Year in Review. Uh, let's go through the hits first. Like, What are the things that actually worked well for the podcast, for Humans of Magic? in 2023. I think one of the things that I think has worked well is I feel like I've been pretty good at highlighting magic as a global game. So you may know that I'm based in China. I grew up in Canada, so I used to live in North America. But I firmly believe that 
Magic the Gathering is a global game. It is meant to be enjoyed by a global community. You know, I love my fellow American Magic players or North American players, but there's so much more than Magic being in the U.S. of A. Yes, I know it's um, owned by Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, U.S. Corporation, but man, the game is in so many different languages. The game is... Um, localized in so many different languages i've had the pleasure of playing magic in so many different countries and for those of you who used to partake in the magic grind you may have traveled to different countries and i think that i've done a decent job this year in terms of highlighting magic as a global game for example i try not to interview just american magic players and content creators um for example i interviewed this year uh, Hugh Watanabe, who is a Japanese-American basketball player. Uh, he's actually on the Japan national team, and he happens to play Magic. I interviewed Brazil's biggest NTG YouTuber because he's got a huge audience uh, over there in uh, Latin America. His channel is actually in Spanish. Uh, Elba actually does all this stuff in Spanish, and he is a force to be reckoned with. I interviewed... Even though I've been in China all this time, I interviewed my first, the first Chinese magic player uh, in my circle this this year, um, uh, James Zhu, uh, who is uh, actually a professional magic player. He's played in uh, pro tours. He, I think I ran into him at PT London a couple of years ago. And there's just so much more to magic than being like a US centric kind of thing. And I'm really proud of highlighting that. Um, for those of you have, who have been with Humans of Magic for a longer time, last year, not even this year, last year, I did a, an entire feature on Ukrainian magic when war broke out. And I would love to do more stuff like that, not just one-on-one -on -one interviews, but actual features. And so I think that's, I would definitely consider that to be a success, is that I have tried my best to highlight more of the non-American magic community. And I will continue doing so. I will continue doing so next year. I would actually like to interview more Japanese magic players as well. I feel like they have played a big hand in magic's history, but sometimes the language can be a barrier. Not all of them are completely fluent in English and I can't speak and I can't understand Japanese. So uh, maybe I'll have to find a way to subtitle it caption it or um i don't know find a translator or something but i, I gotta find a way i, I think humans and magic uh is going to continue to uh have a global focus and uh um yeah so that that's definitely a hit another thing that i feel proud about this year is just becoming more comfortable as an inter interviewer i've been practicing this craft for quite some time. I think Humans and Magic is coming up on 200 episodes pretty soon. We'll definitely hit that in early 2024. But there's still a lot to improve on. Uh, there's still a lot to improve on. But having said that, I feel like I have definitely gotten more comfortable in some ways. And I'll just kind of break it down. I think number one, like just putting in the reps, right? I It wasn't this year, but it was last year I committed to doing weekly Humans and Magic episodes. And I think that is huge. I always feel like the weeks where I'm interviewing, like batch recording two or three people, 
in one week, that's when I feel the most on my game as an interviewer. Just just being naturally flowing with the guest and just learning not to interrupt them. I think that's still an issue that I struggle with sometimes is just you want to insert yourself into it. And I think the way that I have the best conversations interviews is like when I'm a little bit more in the background. I think it's maybe I'm probably like 30, 20% in the interview and the guest is dominating the interview. That's how I, that's my sweet spot. I know every interviewer does it differently, but I really like um, doing it that way. Uh, it depends on the guest too. But I definitely think that this year I made some breakthroughs in terms of um, more repetition, uh, intentional practice. Um, I've actually done a few of these interviews without recording them, sometimes as a pre-interview with uh, a guest, just to make sure that they're the right person for the show. And sometimes I'll even play back and listen to recordings and just think about like in that moment, what could I have had done? What could I have done better in terms of um, asking the questions or like moving the conversation in a different direction? To be honest, like there's a lot of regrets. Like I'll just go back and listen to some of these things and, I, and I'll just be hitting myself and just like I could have navigated a little bit better. And so I'm always looking at like it's kind of like a sports analogy. I'm always looking at the, the, the game film, looking at the tape, right? Like could I have navigated it differently? Um, could I have set it up differently? Could I have made the guests feel more comfortable in their element? Uh, so, you know, I actually all, saying all this stuff doesn't make it sound like I'm proud of it, but like, I'm just hard on myself. I always feel like I want to improve as an interviewer. And so it's a constant work in progress. The other thing that I've gotten better at this year is the pregame. I can't stress this enough. The pregame is so important for interviews. Just a lot of the times I will just chat with the guest over Twitter DM. I'll actually chat with them on air for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes before we actually hit record, because I think it's really important to make them feel that, to just feel super comfortable. Because oftentimes it's very asymmetric. They may not know much about my background. Some of them do. I've had the, the a good fortune that some of them have listened to previous episodes. So they kind of have some idea. But there's other guests, and it's nothing against them. They, they may not have ever heard an episode of Humans of Magic. And so I try to spend a little bit of time with them. I often tell uh, guests before the recording that, hey, look, my, my role, my job as an interviewer is to make you look and sound good. That's the entire goal of the show. I'm not going to put you in any kind of uncomfortable spots. I'm not, there's not going to be any gotchas. If there's things that you don't like after the fact, we can always edit it out. And I tell, I try to tell every one of my guests this, and I think it helps a lot. It helps put them at ease. I also kind of tell them like, hey, these are kind of the, we're going to make it conversational. But here's kind of the three, four, five themes that we're going to touch on. And I think that is huge, right? It gives them this kind of a, a mental preparation of what to expect. Like, I feel like preparation is definitely over half the battle. It's not even half the battle. It's probably 80% of the battle. And so I've definitely become more intentional, even more intentional this year in terms of 
making sure that, hey, I got your back. If you don't like your answer, you can redo it. Um, I want to feature you in the best way possible. I think that's absolutely important. If you make them feel that they're comfortable, then that's when you get peak performance out of a guest. So I think that's really important as well. Um, similar to this topic, like uh, along similar lines, I feel like I've gotten better this year at maintaining tempo with the guests. And I think it's a topic that, I mean, first of all, not many interviewers to talk about how to do interviews, period, right? I mean, I think y'all are magic players, but I think you understand the concept of tempo in magic. And there's also a concept of tempo in interviewing. Sometimes if, if you tune into some episodes, if the guest is talking at a certain speed or they have a slower thought process, then I will try to calibrate how I communicate with them, right? If they're talking at a certain cadence, I try to shift it so that I'm in a similar cadence. If they're a fast talker, then I'm going to talk fast with them. And oftentimes when I try to talk fast, I'll kind of slip, I'll trip over my own words, but I don't, I don't fucking care because I want to make the guests feel like I'm on the same wavelength as them. I think that's super important. That's part of making them feel comfortable is that if they're going fast, I'm going fast. If they're going slow, I just give them space, right? I, I try to, I try to downshift. I try to make sure that I'm not rushing them or I don't make them feel like I'm rushing them to answer questions. I think that is a super underrated skill in the world of interviewing. I don't like listening to interviews where the host is just trying to dominate the whole damn thing. I know everyone does it differently, but I absolutely hate it when people are just interrupting the guests way too much. Like I said, my goal as an interviewer is to make you, the guest, look and sound good. That's what it's all about. Like, honestly, that's my number one principle. I'm curious about exploring magic with you. I'm curious about learning with you. And I'm curious about you answering my questions. Of course I care about that. But I have to care about you, the guest, as a person. I, You're not just some sort of person that appears on the show and I'm just trying to get value from you, right? I'm just trying to extract value and then goodbye. That's just not how my mind works. And so I think interviewing well requires a certain level of tempo adjustment. It also requires a certain level of, quite honestly, just empathy. And I wouldn't say that I have it perfectly, but I'm very intentional about thinking about this stuff as I'm doing it. It's like with anything. When you're playing Magic, you don't want to be autopiloting. It's the same thing. When you're interviewing, you don't want to just like read your list of questions. You don't want to autopilot in life and interviews. I think that was a, a good breakthrough that I had this year, which is doing more of it and just being more intentional. Another thing that I'm fairly proud of that I've done this year is asking for help when I felt I needed it. I'll be honest, and I'll talk about this in the, the learnings and misses a little bit later. I've had, about, I've had my ups and downs with Humans and Magic this year. 
And when I have felt that I've been stuck or in a rut, I've started just leaning on asking folks that I trust. Maybe it's other YouTubers, other magic players, content creators, friends. I've started to lean on asking them for help. I think that's really important. So I had a private call with um, someone whom I think is one of the greatest magic interviewers of all time, Rich Hagon. I actually reached out to Rich this, this year through some mutuals, mutual friends. And I said, hey, can you help me with my interview game? I feel like I'm doing this okay, but I, I need more. I want more advice. And I basically ended up talking to him for, I wish I recorded it, but he didn't want to record it because um, there were some, some private stories that he didn't want to talk about because he's a, he's a Wizards employee. And I, I respect that. But we basically ended up talking for almost two hours about, I think the call was initially scheduled for 30 minutes. We ended up talking for almost two hours about the art of magic interviews, how to do it better. And I've actually taken a lot of his advice into my method. And that's actually gone into some of the things that I mentioned in terms of preparation and, and how to be a better interviewer. I felt like, so that was a good example of just asking for help this year. Um, I also asked uh, one of the best magic YouTubers I know this year. His name is Nikachu MTG. Nikachu has helped me so much in terms of helping me do YouTube. Like, I, I was introduced uh, through, by him through a mutual friend, Will Hall, uh, whom I interviewed. And I just asked Nikachu, hey, can you take a look at my channel? Can you tell me what I'm doing right or what I'm doing wrong in terms of like the videos, the, the thumbnails, the titles and stuff like that? And man, like Nikachu has delivered. Nikachu has given me a ton of advice. Like. Sometimes all you have to do, man, you just have to ask for it. You have to ask for it and you have to let the other person know. There's no strings attached. I'm just trying to get better at my craft. I think this applies to everything. It's not just interviews, but it's also magic and life. Like sometimes if you just ask and you ask respectfully, good things could happen. Now, sometimes they turn you down. Sometimes they ghost you or ignore you. And that's fine. They may not know who I am. And that's fair, right? Everybody's busy. I don't, I don't, um, I don't begrudge anybody. But sometimes these amazing things just happen when you, when you fucking ask, you know? Like, I actually owe a lot of my YouTube success. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm still tiny. I'm still a tiny YouTuber. Don't get me wrong. But Nikachu has helped me so much and uh, we're still talking regularly and uh, he's given me so much advice. Um, I think some of which I'm going to talk about in the learnings, but uh, that's good stuff. Um, another person that has helped me a lot. This person is like my secret weapon, right? And I'll just, I'll just spill it right here. He has helped me so much with preparation, preparing for interviews. And that person is, BDM, Brian David Marshall, the magic historian. I'm I'm not even exaggerating. Like almost all the guests that I've interviewed in the last three, four months, like these magic hall famers, these all-time great players, 
I've just started asking Brian for insights on, hey, what should I ask Reed Duke about? You know, what's something that um, Zvi Malshowitz, uh is about that most people don't know? Like, can you introduce me to this player? Can you introduce me to this Hall of Famer? I think in life, you got to figure out who are the people that are willing to help and ask them for help. Like, I think BDM by now has become a, a great friend. Uh, I try to help him out when I can in different ways. It's kind of a, a friendship value exchange, but I'm not going to lie, man. Like BDM has helped me so much in structuring some of these interviews and getting some of these interviews. You just have to know people. Like, I think, you know, no person lives on an island. Um, BDM has been tremendously tremendously helpful in helping me prepare for interviews um so i think again it goes back to the example like the general thing that i'm proud of is that just knowing when you're kind of struggling with your content uh know when you need another voice in the room and just ask for help that's something that i will definitely continue doing um into next year all right that's all the good stuff that's all the good stuff that's all the hits right let's talk about the misses. <laughs> what are things that humans and magic could do better? And I already said I'm I'm self-critical. Like I there's a lot of things I think could be done better. So let's talk about it. I think in the last live stream I mentioned um this principle and uh there's a book that I have right it's um the 80 the 80 20 rule um it's just a general principle. You don't need to read a book about this. Like you can summarize this in one sentence, which is something I really strongly believe in, which is there are asymmetric input-output balances in life. Sometimes 80% of your results come from 20% of the effort. Like the world is not deterministic, right? Like, like I mentioned last time, just because you spend like ungodly amounts of hours on something, it may not move the needle for you if that's if it's not the right thing. It's the whole classic like work smart, not hard, right? It's it's like you got to figure out whatever it is you're doing in life whether it's content interviews, magic gameplay, living to your potential. Like what's the 20% of the thing that will give you 80% of the results? There's always something that you can do by working smarter in an area rather than just working harder and grinding harder. Um, so why is this a miss? I think I forgot about this for parts of this year. I was kind of lost in terms of content. First of all, I think when you're doing content, you have to know what your goals are, right? So for me this year, there was definitely the goal of growing. And I think when you're doing an interview show every week, the 80-20 rule is that 20% is going to be the guests that you choose. It's going to be the guests because you could have the greatest interview in the world with someone who is not very well known in the magic space and you'll feel really great about it. And I love having conversations. I love talking to everybody. I think those of you who tune into the show know that you have to genuinely care. You have to genuinely care about the person and have the curiosity. But the 20% is about choosing the right people. 
I'll be honest, choosing the people that will help you signal boost, choosing the people that are well-known names so that people will actually click on the episode to listen to it. It doesn't matter how great your thing is if nobody finds it, if nobody wants to click on it. And I think there was for the first half of this year, I lost sight of that a little bit. I, I would say it's ups and downs, but I lost sight of like when you're doing content, the results do matter. So I can have an amazing conversation with Joe Blow at LGS, MILGS. But if I interview LSV or John Finko or Chris Pakula or Marshall Sutcliffe, people who are very well known in the magic space, I will enjoy myself, but it will also have more listenership. And I feel like I'm not saying that I completely disregarded this rule, but in the second half of the year, I definitely, of this year, I definitely made a stronger um, play in terms of seeking out the bigger names, right? If I'm going to sit down and do an interview, do the editing, do the grind, then it might as well be with someone who has more name recognition. And I'm sorry to say it, it means that I've put some names on the back burner. I get pitched to, I get people pitching me to be on Humans and Magic every week. I literally get emails saying like, James, will you have me on your show? And I'm not totally against that, but I'm sorry, man. Like if you are, if you're a mid-sized magic player personality and I've got the chance to talk to Chris Pakula or Zvi Malshowitz or Reed Duke, I'll probably choose the latter because I'm not at the spot in my content career where I don't care about these things, right? So again, 80-20 rule, guest selection, that's really important. But I did lose sight of that. And so I want to call that out as kind of a miss this year. I kind of found my footing, found, found the mental mindset back again. And um, I think I'm doing better now in the second half of the year. And I will try to carry it into 2024. The other miss that I had, um, I think... I think I was over over techniquing things. I think for a while I was spending way too much time on thumbnails, titles, like all those fucking YouTube. Um, uh, sorry for swearing. I just I just feel strongly about it. All these YouTube hacks, like I became a hack, right? By by using these hacks, I became a hack. I started getting into like clickbait. I started getting into like. I, I made a second clips channel because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. Um, I basically forgot about some of the rules that I was trying to tell myself. Like I was going for quantity over quality. I was trying to figure out how to make the best thumbnail. And like I said last time, there's all these things have diminishing returns. And I think I would actually say that Launching a second podcast may have also been a miss. Launching the second podcast. So those of you may know that, some of you may know, uh, it's a much smaller show. I launched a second podcast, which is effectively Humans and Magic without magic people, right? It's called The Why with James Sue. But in doing that, I thought that I could 
kind of scratched my itch of having conversations with people outside of magic. And I thought that it was going to be the way. But what I couldn't really figure out was that I didn't understand my unfair advantage in that space. Because there are a lot of people doing general interviews with generally interesting people, right? So with Humans and Magic, I'm, I'm not going to sound very humble here, but I think I'm one of the best interviewers in Magic the Gathering today. I think I'm, if not the best, maybe in the top three or the top, the top five. So by being in a niche, it actually brings me more of a unique advantage. Even though it's a smaller pond, I'm a bigger fish in the pond. By creating a show where I'm doing general interviews, I don't have as strong of an advantage. Like, why should people listen to me as opposed to Alex Friedman or insert name of accomplished podcaster in the general topic space, right? Like, I don't think anyone would want to listen to me if I'm doing AI podcasts. Like, that's an area that I'm interested in. But Lex Freeman does it so much better. Um, it's not to say, like, you should never do anything if you don't enjoy it. But again, it goes back to the 80-20 rule. If I have limited time to do content and I want to focus on getting certain results, right, or to grow, then I have to really buckle down and figure out what is important for me. And that is, what is the value that I can deliver for people? And generally, you're delivering value in a space in terms of content when you're at the top of it or you're willing to work at becoming in the top of it, right? Like for Humans and Magic, I dedicated years in learning how to interview people or magic players. And I think talking to magic players is also more of a specialized skill because the, the great thing about magic players and also the challenging thing is that we're very confident, smart people, we tend to be quite introverted. And it's not talking to a magic player is not like talking to someone down the street, the gen the magic player is generally a lot more intelligent, and like, uh, more diverse, I, I dare say, and there there's just a lot of things that are a little different. And so anyways, this is just a this is just a segue to say, like, I think going too wide, could also be an issue, right? Again, going back to the 20 rule, I think I went too wide this year. And I definitely have to think about the second podcast or the second YouTube channel, the clips channel, like how much do I want to dedicate to it? Because the risk is always spreading yourself too thin, right? As a magic player, you can't be good at every format. Well, maybe, maybe you can, if you're LSV, you have a solid base, but where I am right now with content, I have to be very selective with my time. Um, the last miss I have on my list is, yeah, that kind of rhymes, the last miss I have on my list. Um, I play very little magic this year. That's, that's the irony of doing a show like this. I spent more time working on my interview craft, more time talking to magic players and actually playing magic. I think I've literally logged more hours interviewing than playing Magic the Gathering, which is kind of sad, actually, if you think about it. Like... The reason I got into this is because I love magic. I love the community. And I played very little this year. I didn't play a lot of paper events. I love magic online. I don't love arena. I think most of you know that. I love magic online. And 
might be a good time to play it again. Magic Online just just had a I think all access the all access token. You get access to all the cards. Um, that's now up. So I have some decks. I have some cards for Magic Online, but uh, that's definitely um, something that uh, I might get back into. It's hard though. I, again, eighty twenty rule. If I have to choose, I'm going to choose to work on this podcast. I'm going to choose to work on my my daily job. I'm going to choose to to run. I, I've become a pretty hardcore runner this year. So oftentimes I'll just decide to, you know, go for a 10 mile or like 20 K run as opposed to playing magic. And um, yeah, I guess it's just finding the balance, right? We all have to. Yeah. All right. Um, just real quick. I'm going to go into some of my favorite episodes and kind of tell you a little bit of the stories behind it, because I think it's not just the episode itself but also where I was at in my life when I recorded some of these episodes, that's make that makes the episodes kind of memorable, right? Because you always put yourself into the content, even though I, like I said, I try to put 20, 30% of myself into the interview. I, I'm trying to be in, in the background. Um, I can't help, but the interviews are shaped by how I feel at the time. Like even I even choose guests because of where I am in my life or what I happen to be curious about from a magic perspective. And so Okay, let's think about this. Um, all right, I think I've done 50. I've tried to do an episode basically every week. So I think this year I've done easily like at least 50 episodes. Uh, I'm even going to release one next week, even though it's uh, Christmas week, because I've got it recorded, right? So why not? Um, so I think it's fair to talk about like five or six of the episodes. I'm not going to make this super long, but like... Six out of 50, that's still a small number. It's not It's not a majority, right? So let's just look at this list here. I want to start off by talking about two episodes I did at the beginning of the year that I feel very proud of. Um, the first one is actually with Spice 8 Rack. Spice 8 Rack is uh, a YouTuber, a very successful one. And the reason why I was really proud of that conversation was because it went all over the place. We talked about their political ideology. And it really reaffirmed something in my mind, which is that everybody on Twitter talks in these kind of sound bites. But Humans and Magic is where you could understand their real beliefs. You can understand how they really think about stuff. And so when I first ran into Spice 8 Rack stuff, their videos or their tweets. I had a lot of questions about how they felt about socialism and communism and Marxism because they, Spice Iraq, they they tend to, um, by the way, Spice's uh, pronouns are they, so I'm trying to be correct here, but um, they try to be, um, uh, they let it out into the open. Like that's, and, and some of the, some of the takes that I've seen them do on Twitter at the beginning of the year, they felt kind of simple to me. And so when I interviewed Spice, I said, hey, give me the introduction on like socialism, Marxism, communism. Give me some pre-readings. I'll read about it and then we'll talk about it. And we didn't talk about all the subjects I wanted to during the interview because it didn't, it didn't quite line up in the flow. But we did talk about their beliefs. And I actually felt after the interview that they were thinking on a much deeper level than you might be led to believe if you just follow them on social which is obvious right like every every one of us is like three-dimensional but 
it really confirmed for me that Twitter is an absolute cesspool and everything gets reduced to zeros and ones. And it's way too fucking simple. Like everybody actually has complex beliefs that we're kind of forced to dilute because of the medium. And so I really enjoy talking to Spice because it confirmed to me the power of one-on-one -on -one personal conversations, because that's where the truth comes out. That's where you could actually have a discourse and not this bullshit on, on, on Facebook or Twitter that we're so used to constant, constant reminder. It's very, it was very, uh, very good for me. Um, the other one I mentioned is like, the other one I will mention is Jesse Robkin, <laughs> AKA titty pills. Jesse is awesome. And I had the greatest time recording the humans of magic with Jesse Robkin because it was the first episode I did this year where we did not, I mean, we might've talked about magic like 0.01% of the time, but we basically didn't talk about magic and it flowed so well. And it gave me the confidence that I could really carry a conversation for almost two hours without talking about, without talking about magic at all. Like it was so awesome. I still remember like talking to Jesse. We talked about like the apocalypse. We talked about what it was like to um, potentially have this universe or future where, um, you know, we're, we're dealing with like with that. And I think some of us, actually some, some of you may feel like we are headed towards the apocalypse, but it was so awesome. We talked about like Jesse's craft. Um, it was so emotionally vulnerable. Like, I I had not ever talked to Jesse before the the recording, and you, if you haven't, please go listen to it. I think it's honestly one of my favorite episodes this year. Um, it gets really deep and really vulnerable on both sides, not just her, but myself as well. Like half an hour in, and it just made me like, it just reaffirmed for me the power of humans of magic, not my power. But just the power of a medium like this, where you could have these intensely personal conversations. And it was awesome. It was awesome. And I actually learned after that Jesse, I think, I think she tweeted on tweeted later that it was the it was it was her favorite, it was the it was her all-time favorite piece of magic content that she's done was appearing on Humans and Magic. It wasn't, and I know. Y'all know Jesse's appeared on a lot of things, a lot of way bigger shows than mine. And that meant a lot. That meant a lot. So it was like the, the process of the recording, I was really in the flow state. And just that episode just holds up. And it just reminds me like why I do this show. It's getting behind the human stuff of the human of humans and magic. I love that show, uh, that episode. Um, all right, the next one is um, episode, uh, rest in peace, Sheldon Menery. Uh, interview Sheldon Menery this year. Um, and again, I think it was a great non-magic episode. It was just talking about Sheldon's life, right? Like, just take the commander stuff out of it for a second. Just trying to understand who Sheldon is as a person, a human being, right? A husband, um, 
someone who's lived a very full life, a very full life. Um, yeah, it's just rest in peace, Sheldon. Um, I, it was just a, it was just one of those interviews where it had the right amount of seriousness to it because even when we did the interview, he wasn't doing great health wise. Um, actually the last interview that was done, uh, with Sheldon was with, was by BDM. Right. So it was an excellent interview. You should definitely watch that. Find it on YouTube. If you haven't watched that already, it's also a very touching, um, intensely personal interview. Um, but after after I did my interview with Sheldon, he actually messaged me um, and said he wanted me to do his uh, final interview. Unfortunately, that didn't quite line up. But um, the last one that BDM did with Sheldon is uh, is an all timer. And uh, yeah, I know I know Sheldon's been a big fan of Humans and Magic. Um, I think after we did the interview, he also said something like uh, Humans and Magic was the best interview he ever had, and um, that also meant a lot to me. I mean, it definitely helped my ego, but I think it also showed that, um, yeah, there was something special there in that conversation and it wasn't just magic. It was, it was going beyond that. And so I think all of these conversations that I mentioned so far are, that's what it's about, man. It's, it's about the human. Um, another one that I'm proud of is, uh, Fazendo Nerdici. So that's the Brazilian YouTuber I mentioned. He's the biggest Brazilian YouTuber out there and uh just very simple right it's just a good showcase of magic as a global game for a while that was actually my top my most viewed episode on youtube and that was so encouraging because it just shows that magic is such a global game if we're willing to just transcend the borders of it being in the us of a um i know it's easy like i'm biased as well like when i was in canada or north america i always looked at it through that lens. When I'm in China now, I tend to look at it through a, a China lens. But it's really important to understand that Magic is such a global game. And talking to Elba, uh, the YouTuber, just really brought that home. So I, that was a really a fun one. And uh, also a very long one. I think it went almost three hours. Um, I always find that uh, after the one hour mark is when things start to really kick in. That's when the guests really let loose and it's going well, it's flowing. Um, I have definitely felt in some of these interviews that I've, um, I've hit the flow state for interviews and that's absolutely awesome. Um, the next name on the list of, uh, episodes I'm proud of is Sam Black and Sam Black is just an otherworldly mind. And there's the typical stuff with Sam Black and why it's amazing and how he thinks about magic is just so different from everybody else and he's just operating on a very different frequency but i think the 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 reason why i'm proud of this episode is not just because it's sam black it's because i felt like i made a kind of a mini breakthrough because magic players are not very good at explaining why they're good i think it's true for humans in general like humans are not very good at explaining themselves like think about it like how did you get this job like, why did, why are you watching this live stream right now? Like, like what, why did you do this and that? Like, why, who, why did you marry this person? Like, we're very hard at explaining things in general. Right. And then there's always a kind of, um, hindsight is 2020, um, 
survivorship bias and like bias in general. But I was having none of it when I was talking to Sam because Sam just has this kind of like, aw shucks, like I just became a great magic player, right? Like it's legendary. Like he didn't even play tournaments for a long time. He just played multiplayer games. And so that was the episode that I really, I really dug in. I really said, Sam, I'm, I'm not buying this. You have to tell me like how you got to this, right? I'm not just going to take some sort of simple, trivial answer, right? So I'm really proud of like the work I did in the episode to really unpack why or who he is, right? And I think that was actually a good point in interview where he opened up as well, because he could tell at that point that I actually gave a shit about who Sam Black was as a as a magic player and therefore as a person, right? Like a lot of people just like autopilot through interviews and just kind of like, hey, I'm good. I got I got this name on the show, right? I got Luis. I got this big name, and that's it. I'm I'm good. You know, I don't I don't care about the quality. No, I give a fuck about the interview, and I want to know something that you haven't told anybody else, right? And so. When you're telling me this answer that you've given other people for the hundredth time, I'm going to dig in. I felt like that was a, a real breakthrough. I really enjoyed that um, kind of behind the scenes of that interview. Um, the last episode I'll mention that I'm most proud of, um, I think this is number six here. Uh, there's no order, but this is the last one I'll mention. Um, you all know how much respect I have for Marshall Sutcliffe. I think that Mount, the the Marshall Sutcliffe episode I did this year, um, I think it ranks up there in terms of uh, all time humans and magic episodes. Uh, it had a little bit of everything. It had the personal stuff. It had like the how to content creator angle, and it was just it was just real, man. Um, I interviewed Marshall a few years ago um, for the first one, and. Not the one this year, but it was, I think it was pre-pandemic. We did one back when it was audio only. And I still remember at the time I lived in another city. So I'm in Shanghai right now. I used to live in Beijing. I remember like finishing interview with Marshall that first time. Walking downstairs into like the Beijing cold. I think it was also during the winter. And wind blowing in my face and just thinking like, I might have something with this show, right? And I might have something with this show if the guest is willing to go there with me. If the guest is that good, we're playing off of each other. Like that was honestly one of the first times I felt the potential of doing Humans and Magic. Like it felt so good and so effortless. I think it was the first, one of the first times that I felt like I was in the flow state as an interviewer. And you know what happens when you have a good first interview with someone and you try to, you do another one. Like I had a couple of repeats, for example, with like Ristic Studies, Sam, with Marshall Sutcliffe, um, with a few other names. I can't remember right now. There's so many interviews. For me, there's always this kind of like nervousness. There's this nervousness about, am I going to be able to do as well the second time, right? Have we run out of topics? And it's a very irrational fear. It's very rational, but I definitely had that with Marshall the second time, but like five minutes into the second recording that we did this year, I just knew that it was going a good place. And so like 
Marsha just gave me so much good advice that I'm applying right now to Humans of Magic, challenging myself. That's why I'm doing this live stream, uh, getting into the outside of my comfort zone, and just doing stuff that I feel like is headed in the, in the right direction here. Um, there was somebody that I interviewed this year that I'm pretty proud of. I didn't I didn't really try to publicize it on Reddit or Twitter and these like places where I'll get criticized harshly for it. But the Alex Bertoncini interview this year, that was a really special one as well. I mean, for those who don't know, Alex Bernchini is was one of the most infamous cheaters in magic history, right? He basically stole a lot of money from other magic players during, especially during the Star City Games era where he was crushing tournaments, but he was cheating to do so. He ended up getting a banned lifetime after um, getting suspended like two or three times. And that was an episode that I felt, I feel like I actually, I, I don't regret doing the episode at all. And I actually felt like I grew a little bit in terms of being kind of, uh, kind of like stepping away from interviewer and more being a journalist. And I was a lot more guarded. Like if you watched a YouTube episode, my facial expressions were a lot more grim. And I usually like do this where I'm kind of like nodding along. And I wanted to make it clear to myself uh, and to Alex that I wasn't going to just take everything he said at face value. Like it was a very challenging interview because um, he is to me like the definition of an unreliable narrator, right? Like the reason why he's been able to um, cheat and get away with stuff is because he's very charismatic. Like he's the person that I did a pre-interview recording with just to just to figure out like what the conversation would be like. And I knew that he's going to win over some people if you just take things at face value. But objectively, a cheater is a cheater. And I don't feel like he was entirely remorseful, right? Uh, if you listen to the interview, like he actually has like some sort of like they're out to get me angle. And and I and I I respect that. I get that because I feel like the truth is sometimes somewhere in the middle. Like it's not like he didn't cheat, but I think people actually did go out of their way to like really make life hard for him. And so he's definitely in the wrong. But I want to make sure that I wanted to make sure that um doing the interview that I wasn't giving him a free pass for everything. Like I was asking the questions that I felt like the community would still be interested in asking, right? Including <laughs> if you listen to it, like I try to really press him on, I try to really, really press him on outing other cheaters, right? And he wouldn't do that. And he, he gave me his reasons and I mean, hey, I tried, right? Um, so that was a very challenging interview. And, but it was a great learning experience too. It kind of, honestly, it reaffirmed for me that, um, look, my platform is not that big. My platform is not that big. I'm a tiny piece of content. I'm not magic gameplay. I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not like commander gameplay. I'm not Tolarian community college. I'm not like a magic news channel. I'm having conversations with magic people and I have to accept the fact that I am the nichest of the niche, right? Like I am a small fry 
So I don't buy into this idea that I'm somehow platforming Alex or giving him like another chance to sound good by having him on Humans and Magic. I just don't buy into that. Like maybe one day when I'm like, when I'm a much bigger platform, but I feel like it's okay to platform people as long as you give them the proper amount of pushback. If I get somebody on the show that's like a racist piece of shit or a bigot, and I didn't know that, and I, they happen to get on the show, I may not release the episode, but at least in that moment, I would definitely push back on them. Like, I think people can say what they want to say, but my platform is small and my platform is going to push back on you. Like, if you're going to come in here and you're going to talk about some crazy thing, I don't, I don't even want to give examples, but there's a lot of crazy ideas and things out there. Like, I will push back on you, right? I'm not just going to sit here and just nod. Uh, I think Alex was a big test for me in doing that this year. And um, yeah, it was a learning experience, I would, I would have to say. All right. Um, you know, let's get to the section about learnings. Um, learning. <laughs> I'm laughing right now because I'm trying to, I thought I have, I would figure out the best way to say this, but I mean, you guys are here, you guys are listening to this. So uh, let's just be honest. Like I learned a lot this year about MTG drama, right? I learned a lot about like drama that you're pulled into versus drama that you're generating on your own. And the source of all my stress this year, um, I, I think those of you who may not know, like you can go and listen to um, the episode I did where I was interviewed by uh, Mate. Uh, it's called the, the Human Behind Humans and Magic. He asked me, he's just straight up about some of the, the drama I went to. So I won't exactly repeat it. But I'll just say that this year, there were points in the year where I was lost, where I was trying to, I was over-optimizing for the goals, right? Like, I know, I know I said you should have goals as a content creator. I believe that. But you can lean too hard into it because the dark side of having goals is that you're going to do whatever it takes to get to get there. And earlier this year, I felt like I was chasing my goals too hard. I started experimenting with what are the best techniques to get engagement, to get the click. And I lost sight of who I was as a creator. I lost sight of goodwill that I had built up with the community. I basically clickbaited and click, uh, clip baited and clipped some of my content that I thought would get the maximum amount of engagement. And so I created what the sad thing is that I, it wasn't even drama that I had no control over. I created some of that drama, right? And in doing so, I lost myself because I became the prince, Machiavelli the prince. The end justifies the means. The end may justify the means in some cases, but not if you're trying to build a show that's around the magic community. Like, I basically violated some of my own principles. Yes, it's important to grow as a creator, but 
don't burn bridges. It's not sustainable. It was also not easy for me mentally because the magic mob came after me and I felt like I was getting dogpiled. And I'm not trying to say woe is me, but as a 40-year-old man who's never dealt with any kind of internet drama, this was the first year that I really dealt with it. And it fucked me up, man. Like, I, I'm just going to be real. Like, I was in a pretty dark place for several weeks, maybe even a month. Just, I was like, what did I do? <laughs> like, I unleashed this weird Pandora's box on myself. I had somebody subtweet me saying, like, James is a bully. Like, don't support this stuff. And I think my biggest learnings, let's focus on the learnings. Biggest learnings from this is results matter, goals matter. But you have to stay true to yourself. If you lose yourself in that process, no amount of engagement, achieving goals, getting what you thought you wanted is going to be worth it. That's learning number one. Learning number two. This sounds so obvious, but I have to say it because I had to learn it again. Don't assume that other people know what your intentions are. Don't assume that people think that you're coming from good intentions, right? The reason why I thought I could click clickbait and do a, lo a little bit of stuff outside my wheelhouse is because I thought people would give me the benefit of the doubt. Like, I've been, I try to be a very inclusive person in the community. I've tried to get a wide variety of guests on the show. I've, I felt like I, you know, I contributed in a positive way. And so, hey, maybe there's some latitude here, right? And again, this is not a woe is me kind of thing. Just to assume that it was just wrong to assume that people know where I'm coming from. Like, how could anyone know where, what someone else is coming from? Like all the people that latched on and dogpiled and um, got involved in the drama that I generated, some of them have never and probably never will listen to Humans and Magic. They don't give a fuck. They just care that somebody's like getting dogpiled or somebody's like clickbaiting, right? So you should never assume that people understand where you're coming from. And the way to navigate it is just always be consistent, always do the best you can. It's kind of like the the cliche, you're only as good as your last your last shot. You're only as good as your last content. Always keep the bar high. Always keep it high. You cannot make any assumptions. 90% of people that interact with you will never listen to Humans of Magic. They never will. And that's fine. I'm not for everybody, right? They just people just want to follow the drama. Social platforms let you do that. Again, I'm not trying to say I was not guilty. I did stuff this year that I'm not proud of. I own up to it. But I also had to learn that you just can't make assumptions about people because people will make assumptions about you. And you just have to be very consistent and stay true to yourself. And only if you stay true to yourself and you don't violate your personal principles, then when shit hits the fan, you'll know how to deal with it. Because if you're lost and then that stuff happens, you just get more lost. I definitely learned that the hard way. Man, that was pretty heavy. 
trying to think about how else I should talk about this stuff. Um, <laughs> well, this is kind of related. I definitely learned this year um, who my real friends are or who my real supporters in the magic community are because people like to I actually just recorded with uh, Ryan Nicholas, uh, Tron is bad, amazing content creator guy. Um, I'm looking forward to getting the episode out in the new year. Um, but we had a talk about being nice versus being kind. Everybody can be nice to you, especially when you have a certain amount of uh, clout or recognition, right? People like to say, to, to have these like, platitudes, like, you know, you know, I, I support this. I do that. But the difference between being nice and being kind is that kind people will actually tell you the truth. Kind people will actually tell you when you fucked up. Being kind is not being nice. And being nice all the time doesn't help. It doesn't help. If you're really somebody's friend, tell them what they need to do. So this year I learned that some of my real friends or acquaintances in the magic community are people that are kind with me. They're not nice with me. There's people that love humans and magic, right? They love um, the show. They may have never listened to the show, but they love it. And when things are good, they're like, yeah, okay, retweet James. You know, this is great. But you know what? When drama goes down, when I'm having challenges, crickets, absolute crickets. I learned this year who my real friends are. And I love that. So I always try to see the opportunity in things that don't work out. I always try to see the upside. And I definitely saw some upside this year. I was like, here are some people that actually are kind to me, that actually support what I do, that are kind enough to tell me when I fucked up. They're kind enough to tell me when I screwed up, but they'll tell it to me. They'll give it to me straight, right? I really appreciated that. So that was a big learning as well. Um, the world of online is full of parasocial relationships, right? People claim to be your friend. They claim to love your stuff. Um, but sometimes it's crickets when you're, when you're actually in trouble. And I know, like I said, people, you can't assume anybody knows who you are. But I think one of the biggest things is just learnings for me. Develop, like, just work on developing the really good friendships or the ones that you think has potential and ignore the rest, right? You're going to get people that don't like what you do. They don't like your face. They don't like your content. They'll never watch your content, listen to your content. And that's fine. You're not for everybody. But the people that really appreciate you and are kind to you, hang on to that. That's super important. Hang on to that. Definitely my biggest learning of uh, 2023. Okay. Um, wow. Hold Wow, it's been over an hour already. This monologuing thing, I might have a career in this because um, it's it's definitely gotten easier than the, the first time I did it earlier this week. Plans for 2024. There's a couple things. I think I like to experiment with um, 
more different types of content. I don't mean like going outside the interviews, but just maybe different kinds of segments, different kinds of clips. Um, I'm piloting one right now that I'm going to get out this 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 week called uh, Five Questions. Right, basically, it's like a a short version of the interview. I just ask my guests like. What are your top five? Like, for example, what's the best magic play you ever made? What's the worst play you ever made? Like, what are your biggest level ups? Things like that. And the answers are all very interesting. I've recorded them with a couple of people now, and they're all super interesting. Like, that's a way for people to get maybe a 10 minute version of Humans and Magic that could be enjoyable. And it's more, not going to lie, more easily consumed. It's more like just bam, 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 like five questions, right? Um, I would love to do other types of formats like i know i've been doing all these interviews online because i'm in china I interview people like all over the world but i would love to like do more like in-person interviews right so i'm going to try to find a way to travel to europe travel to the us this year different places um outside of china where i am and just really try to do these kind of like face-to-face things because i think i'm doing a decent job of online interviews like over um over this but i feel like if I'm already at this level with online, in person, it's going to be at a different level. It's going to be even better because all the verbal cues, like all the all the dead space, the air, like I, I'll have even better control over that. Uh, I'm not somebody that can only interview people online. I just had to do it because of logistic reasons. If I could, I would definitely just love to interview everybody face to face, like sitting across them at a table or even doing stuff like we're playing magic. and. Um, and we're talking as well, right? Um, I don't know if some of you may have, um, because I'm an interviewer, I watch a lot of interview shows to try to get inspiration or study. Like there was a show a while, a while back, um, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, right? It was with Jeremy Seinfeld and he would like drive a fancy vintage car and go get coffee with somebody and they basically do an interview. I would love to do the equivalent of that for Magic where I'm um, playing Magic with them and just kind of like, shooting the shit and also talking as well or maybe like going for a walk and have a camera follow us and just it's more it's more natural it's not just like all right q a um yeah, these are all ideas i think i'm fairly presentable i feel like i could definitely connect with more people and um yeah just gonna try to do that and uh, i'm gonna try to expand my range like i already mentioned the last live stream i would like i would love to interview more artists like um maybe people running magic businesses like just people from all walks of life um definitely if you have suggestions for people you want me to interview that i haven't interviewed yet i'm happy to to take them so um yeah i don't like to promise too much for like future i think it's like i i think it's more important just to do the damn thing right so the only way that i can prove to you that i'll have a better next year than this year it's by going out there and showing it. I can't just tell you I'm going to do all these things. Like, ideas are free. Like, someone listening to this right now can go do another magic show where they have all the ideas that I have and they can do it better. But the key is they have to do it and they have to do it better. Like, I come from the the startup world and it's often like super overrated. Like, I, oh, I can't tell anybody my idea. I can't tell anybody because they might copy it. You know, if you take my idea and you do it, and you do it better, hats off to you, right? That's great. Ideas are free. Um, I, I hope there are more, more interview shows that have a high quality bar. I hope I can do a, 
a better job. But if someone comes out there and does a better job, that's also good and challenges me. So the most important thing, it's not just interviews, it's just life. Like you just have to deliver, you have to execute. You, you can't just think about it. So I will prove to you, hopefully a year from now, doing a similar live stream that I have done these things when I've done them. So that's pretty much it. I don't want to overpromise. Uh, thank you for listening to me ramble for over an hour. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the uh, year in review. And let's see if there's any questions in the in the chat. Oh, okay, okay. So uh, it's a friend of mine, Walter. Um, does twenty percent of my guests bring eighty percent of viewership? Yeah, yeah. I I, I believe that. Um, it's asymmetric rewards. I've definitely had a lot of uplift this year because of certain guests. And if I'm honest, I wish I could have Redukon every week. I wish I could have uh, insert name of famous magic personality every week, but that's not how it works, right? <laughs> so you have to find a way to keep it interesting and also understand and make peace with the fact that some episodes are do better than others because it's not a constant. I'm not always talking to the same person and that's fine. But again, just guest selection, being intentional with your stuff. I think that really matters. All right. I don't think there is any other questions. Uh, thank you for the compliments in the chat. And I, I just want to say like, I want to make next year better. I think this year has been pretty good, uh, but next year, uh, hopefully we'll get to a new place. Hopefully we'll see. Um, thank you all for tuning in and uh, we'll talk to you next time.